conclusion inevitable. It was a jump to conclusions, Matt. My conclusion was that this idea was not a practical deterrent. My only conclusion can be that it was a Sith Lord. In conclusion. Hello there, folks. Welcome back to In Conclusion, the only movie podcast that watches the movie while recording. I'm Dan O'Keefe, and joining me as always is Anna Otto. How are you, Anna? Dan, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I had a really delicious sandwich for dinner. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Riley said to vamp, I'm doing my best. That's a big, that's a big day you had. I you mean, had a sandwich for dinner? When was that? An hour ago? Uh, Would you do this 15 afternoon? Minutes Can ago. you remember? I worked. <laughs> that's it. Oh, the the grind of the work day. You know, no water cooler mm. chat. No, nah. no talking about what's happening. Nah. You just, just sit down just with vibed. your coworkers and just go, geez, Iran, right? Oh, my God. Every day. <laughs> Every day I walk I... into the office and I say, God, what's going on in the Kyber Pass? It's pretty nuts. Are you guys following <laughs> this, too? Listen, I did have a big cookie today. That was pretty exciting. <laughs> People. Me and some of my boys did a coup in Myanmar over the summer, <laughs> oh and my everyone God. got upset. To be clear. I know you're making references to the fact that there is a revolution in this movie. I am picking up something, unless you weren't, and I'm just... It's fine. Oh, no, very different. Also, I have no idea why there was a coup in Myanmar, so it's probably something bad. Oh. Uh, it's, not, it's not fun to make uh, fun of that kind of stuff. I hope everything's going well there and i hope i got the country right <laughs> we could probably cut a lot of this if if uh no that would mean please... e- that would mean editing riley and i don't yes, want to dan, dan edit. never edits unless it's like really embarrassing i yeah. mentioned editing this out so can we please edit that part nope. out nope <laughs> riley Staying the number in. of times i've asked to have something edited out and it's even it's worse with many. Anna because I'll say yes and then forget and leave. It uh, Dan <laughs> gaslights me. Dan gaslights me. Thank you. This is what I get for trying to to vamp and pepper up this intro so I can finish watching the movie for this week, which Trust. I am very late in doing. <laughs> That's okay. We are very early in recording trying to, because trying to distract, like trying to get the intro going. Which I've completely zoned out of the movie, <laughs> making okay. this all completely pointless. Well, like I said, I mean, we've had to record super early this week because I'm having a big week, Dan. What are you doing? I'm seeing Fallout Boy on Wednesday. Ooh. Is it a concert uh, or are you just breaking in? I, I, you know, I have plans to just show up at their homes. No, it's a concert. <laughs> This is, and you've seen them before, but this is still an exciting day. I mean, isn't it always exciting to see a band you enjoy, whether it's the first time or the millionth time, you know? Mm -hmm. The vibes are still immaculate. I love seeing Dave Matthews' band. I get it. Okay. I think this is kind of your Dave Matthews' band, right? Sure. Let's say sure. Is it because they're my background right now? Did we notice? I think so. I yeah. think that I would understand. I've seen DMB a couple times. I feel like you've seen go. this group. 
at least once. When I that is you would be correct. When I see <laughs> or hear DMB, I think you've just gone to a weird off-brand Dave and Busters. <laughs> Dave and Busters. Yep. Macaroni in a pot. That's a cheap Dave ass Mon- breakfast. David Montgomery Busters. <laughs> Dave Montgomery. Oh my god. Um, do you know a, a sad fact of my life? Oh boy. Tell the, me oh no, more. Dan. The band that I have seen the most times in concert. Can I guess? Yes. Is it Weird Al? It's not. No, I wish. God. That's much that more would... fun than the actual answer. That would Who is it, Dan? Weird. It's One Republic. Oh, <laughs> man. What? You know, my dad told me, this is a long time ago. I don't know if it's true or not anymore. Uh-huh. But apparently, you know, my dad sometimes works in the prison Mm-hmm. Uh, fixing stuff. A lot of times, the guys in the prison will sing "It's too late to apologize," but my dad thinks the lyrics are "It's too late for sorry now," which is like my favorite <laughs> thing in the world. Um, oh, they did that song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh heavens, Dan! Why have you seen them? Period. It has never been by choice. Was it when you were working at that venue? So I used to work at a concert venue in the parking lot, and mm-hmm. they were there for two years in a row so i saw them both years and i was like this is fine i guess um and then we were on vacation in houston (laughs) and we went to the houston rodeo one day and at the end of the day at the houston rodeo after they do like the mutton bustin and all the actual rodeo what mutton bustin it's a bunch of it's a bunch of children who oh, try and okay. lasso and grab on to mutton and sheep and corral it and tie it down. And whoever oh does it the best wins. I don't know why, but I assumed there would be mutton chops involved. So I don't think you know. I think if you can grow mutton chops, you're disqualified. Because I'm but talking I like mean. these are nine year olds, like holding on to the side of a sheep as it's running around in a pen. Um, hmm. So after watching all of that actual rodeo stuff i was living my best western life um they have a concert afterwards and Mm -hmm. me thinking it's the rodeo i think oh it's going to be a country music artist i don't like okay i can live with that no it's one republic no opener just them one republic (laughs) under god baby i love america They can never break up because then it would truly prove that it's not one republic indivisible. Um, oh my god! Oh my goodness! That's so true. Second most I've seen is Walk the Moon. Oh, oh. okay, that's a little more a little, fun. But it's none of these are bands that I'm like big fans of. I don't think anyone's like big fans of either of those groups. You yeah, would be like surprised. Like, oh, okay. Think of the people you know, who like the Big Bang Theory? A hundred. The Venn diagram is a circle. Oh. Not to disparage anyone like that, but kind of to disparage it. My mom likes the Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Does she like One Republic? Uh, no, I don't believe so. You're telling me when she goes grocery shopping, she's not Mm -hmm. bopping to the entire album's Worth of One Republic content that they play. Dan, nope. I just made a, uh, a note for the podcast that I want to reference later in the episode. I think you're going to really appreciate it. I think you're really going to like it. Oh, good. I'm glad <laughs> I wrote it down. 
That's a teaser for later. We in the love episode. a note. I will be shivering with anticipation. I underlined it. Thank you for it. not it's, saying it's, the other word. It's three words. <laughs> oh God. Um. Are we ready to pop to it, Riley? Or well, I still need to introduce Riley. Oh yeah, sorry. Also oh, here today. Right. In, wait, hold on. Where am I? Who am I? <laughs> who is that on? mysterious disembodied voice? Uh, who are you? The man who still hasn't finished the movie, but is really trying hard to do so as we're recording. Riley Harrington, how are you? I am doing fantastic. I am currently setting a world record speedrunning Ocean 13. <laughs> I'm currently streaming on Twitch at Good Game Riley. I'm uh, I'm setting a world record. I haven't moved a muscle in probably ten hours. I've been trying this for the past, you know, you know, twelve hours, just kind of streaming over and over. And mm-hmm. I think I'm really going to crack it this time. I think yeah. this is the one. I mean, the the hardest part is the DVD menu go through. I think if you if you time it right, you can skip a few frames during the uh, Columbia intro. The sound will be still in sync, but you just lose a few frames of black at the beginning. Mm beautiful um (laughs) interesting um yeah the movie that we're talking about today the movie that riley is still watching right at the climax um is oceans 13 the final film in the oceans trilogy the last one they ever made (laughs) the end of oceans sirs the only last oceans film of the trilogy, the whole series, all three movies, for the for the fellas, <laughs> for the boys, maybe for the, for the, for the ladies, girls. Hello, there's more fun going on for the ladies. Yeah, you have I to think... join our subscription service, In Conclusion Plus, to get our episode talking about Ocean's Eight. We don't have one. Uh, we never talk about anything for the ladies. It's always <laughs> for the fellas. What, do you want to do Magic Mike next? I'm cool with that. Oh, my God. I made Gage watch the last scene of Magic Mike XXL last night because he loves Matt Bomber and um, Joe Manganiello, mm-hmm. and they're both in that movie, Ooh. and he'd never seen the end, and we're watching it, and I was like, how does it feel to watch your heroes <laughs> gyrating? That, that man was in the Snyderverse. Wait, now which one? Uh, Joe Man- Manganiello. Manganiello? Yes. He yes. plays, I believe, Deathstroke, the Terminator, oh. in the DC Comics universe. Mm, I'm familiar with Deathstroke. I've banned anyone from playing him in Injustice when they play with me because it's not fair. Oh, because he's too cool. He's too yeah. sick. He oh, just shoots sure. at you, and then you can't even get close to him. It's All not right, even fair. All right, credits rolling. I finished the movie. Woo! Hot dog. Okay. Ocean's 13, directed by Steven Spielberg. Screenplay by Brian. Did it again. Sir. I said Spielberg, didn't I? Yes. You did it again. <laughs> I, I think you did it on purpose. I didn't. I promise you. I get on autopilot when I say Steven's. He's manifesting. Well, well, Directed that's by... the difference between you and me, buddy. I always go Stevie Sodi, the movie man. Not Stevie Sodi. Stevie Sodi Bread, my little guy. Directed oh by God. Steven Soderbergh, written by Brian Koppelman and David Levian. Starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Don Cheadle, Bernie Mac, Ellen Barkin, Al Pacino, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jemison. 
Shaobo Quinn, I pronounced that wrong, Carl Reiner, and Elliot Gould. Uh, That's right. <laughs> music by David Holmes, whose Wikipedia page lists him as a DJ. Oh, no. Did I ever tell you? Okay, I hope he doesn't ever hear about this, but a guy I went to high school with, his first name was Irving, and now he goes by DJ Swerving, and I think about that a lot. Oh, okay. I think about that so often. Uh, well, the DJ name is so obvious there. It's Mixabod Crane. That's it's good. It's right there. Oh my god, Irving. <laughs> I think that I think those there's a reference in there somewhere. I mean, oh my god. <laughs> uh, released on June eighth. 2007 with a budget of 85 million dollars it made 311.7 million dollars on rotten tomatoes it has an approval rating of nice with a critical what? consensus reading 69 percent yeah i hate it here <laughs> Ocean's 13 reverts to the formula of the first installment, and the result is another slick and entertaining heist film. Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars out of four, saying Ocean's 13 proceeds with insouciant dialogue, studied casualness, and a lot of stuff happening, none of which I cared about because the movie doesn't pause to develop the characters or forced to make do with their movie star personas. Ugh. What a loser. <laughs> loser commentary in that review, frankly. Can you read that back for me one time? I want to pick it apart piece by piece. Ocean's 13. Correct. Okay. Good start. Good start. Proceeds with insouciant dialogue. Don't don't know what that word means. <laughs> Studied casualness. Nice. I, it's casual. It's fun. I dig that. Good. And good. a lot of stuff happening. Correct. Yep. <laughs> so much stuff happens in this movie. It's awesome. None of which I cared much about because the movie Ooh. doesn't pause to develop the characters. Here's here's where he's taken a turn and forgotten as a film reviewer and a human being that there have been two other movies in this series. The Who are forced one the to make thing. do with their movie star personas. They're the, they're, you have the best movie stars in the world in this movie. You just deal with their personas because they're great personas. It's Brad Pitt. It's George Clooney. It's Al Pacino. My son. Listen, God, I love so, Al Pacino with every fiber of my so, soul. Thank you. He's so fucking good in this movie. We have he, the same nose. Uh, he plays. <laughs> you You're right. <laughs> Thank you. He plays Donald Trump in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. incredible. <laughs> it might be one of the most hysterical casting choices in any movie of the past 30 years. Probably. The only one that tops it is Al Pacino in Jack and Jill just because of the Dunkachino bit. <laughs> it's, it's not Al anymore. It's, it's Donald Trump. I'm trying to find my favorite picture of Al Pacino. I'll post it on the Instagram. There's a million of them. Is it him it's as Shylock actually... in The Merchant of Venice? No, <laughs> it's from The Godfather. So it's when he was young. And I just think it really, like, it's so cute. <laughs> it also gives me me vibes. Wait, 
That has wait, wait. There's a Sigmund Freud thing to unpack there. It's so cute because it reminds me of me. I mean, I love me the most. There's a lot to unpack there, but we don't have time for that. (laughs) Jackie Burghart sticker I have. Um. Anyway, so we're gonna have to be a little quicker with this episode than the other two. Because Riley has lots of well, things can... he needs to fit into his social calendar. Riley no, wants we... to go out and partay. <laughs> no, no, no. We can, we can, we can go a little regular speed. Now we, we can do whatever speed. you want. If you're trying to go out tonight, by all means, I am envious. Tbh, we can, this. We if, can cut this. If you're no, we can't. <laughs> Riley. <laughs> <laughs> Riley, part of the gig of coming on this show is that everybody gets roasted at least once. This is my nightmare. I'm no, I'm not getting roasted. I'm roasting myself. This is my nightmare. Why is it your nightmare? I'm roasting myself. No. My nightmare is an empty room with no door and just windows. You look like you're in prison or you have a room <laughs> in 1912. And it's like, well, there's the photograph in the room. Don't you think it brings everything there's together the with the white walls and the black bed frame? I'm not going to turn my I'm not going to turn my computer around to show you the wall of screens that I have in front of me, but that's where our bed is and I've been told not to hang anything above your bed because if there's an earthquake, it could fall down and kill you. That's so crazy to me. I mean, it makes sense, but also, like, wow. I don't know. It just kind of shocks me. Roots behind that is the the idea of decorating one's room was invented in the 1920s after (laughs) attitudes became a bit more, you know, relaxed. Uh, Before that, it was viewed as perverted, sinful, prideful Mm. behavior to decorate one's own room. uh, If you ever see pictures of, like, uh, your grandparents' rooms as a child... They look like it's just like white walls, like a hospital, mm-hmm. you know. It is often said that the 20s were when society turned more lax. Things I got mean... open. Things got normal. We handled World War One pretty well. <laughs> I think we're always, we walked away from that being like, okay, we, had, we processed this. We're done with that. Mm-hmm. Moving on. And then uh, history took its course. Yeah, and then nothing of importance happened in the 20s. Uh, nope, nothing. Nothing else to process either. <laughs> so, We've just been fine ever since. Um, God. Let's just get really into tired. the Let's get into the film. The picture. <laughs> the movie the show. Movie, the movie. The RT. Why we go to the movies. Why we pay for the popcorn. Why we watch Ooh. those Oscars year after year. Speaking of movies, I saw Candyman, but anyway, I, that's just, you know, I was really excited about it. But we can talk about this movie, obviously. Before we do, you sent the picture in our group chat. That is the happiest. Isn't that so cute? Al Pacino. He kind of looks like, in that picture, um, the guy who plays, uh, what's his name on Arrested Development? The uh, no. Buster? Buster, yeah. Yeah, he looks like Tony Hale. Yeah, he does. Holy shit, that would be so funny in a movie. (laughs) Tony Hale as Al Pacino? No, wait. Ooh, they're doing all those miniseries, like, ooh, The Making of the Godfather. They had that one with Army Hammer before he started doing all that stuff. All the cannibalism. Or or he got, like, really caught for it. Uh, Yeah. Well, I can be be the Al Pacino nose stunt double, you know. I'm ready. There was 
a reason Tony why Hale to play John Cazal. Mm. The greatest actor of all time, I think. Statistically. Like movie movie. Statistically, yes. Yeah. He had nothing but <laughs> Grand Slam. Yeah. Like he was in the like literally the best oeuvre ever. Yeah. That was uh, a tongue twister. Literally the best oeuvre ever. That is difficult. I'm amazed I made it through that one and didn't fuck it up. We're very proud of you. <laughs> so, Ocean's 13 starts out, and it was a little too dark for me to kind of see what was going on because I was watching this outside and my screen brightness oh my didn't God. go up high enough. But from what I could gather, Rusty and Danny are doing some high-tech job that looked like they were trying to Mission Impossible their way into somewhere when they get a phone call saying that Ruben has taken ill. My biggest nightmare. Literally, Gage and I turned on the movie, and Gage goes, how's Riley going to handle this? I was so, when I first saw this movie, I got so nervous because I didn't know how the trilogy ended. And I was like, I've heard this one is kind of mixed reviews. And as soon as, like, the thing started going sour, my hands were up. I was in defensive mode. I was like, oh, Soderbergh, I'll find you. <laughs> Sorry I'll find if you're you. hearing me clank around. Excuse me. Sorry if you're hearing me clank around. I was just trying to put my feet up on a chair and I like kicked like three things in the process. So, Ooh. oops, my bad. Uh, so Ruben from stress has had a myocardial infarction, a very funny word for a very serious <laughs> event. I find that a lot of the things that you say about like heart disease sound kind of funny, but are not very funny in reality the, the the it's the infarction part mm-hmm. there's what's the angina mm-hmm. that's something that has to do with your heart that's a word that makes me laugh but is definitely not something to be laughing about no it's what not what could cause such a stressful <laughs> incident for ruben tishkoff dan <laughs> well he was attempting to open a brand new casino and make a legitimate business um with his business partner, partner Willie Bank, played by Al Pacino. Not oh. Willie Bank. But so he gets good. he gets screwed out of the deal. The uh, last minute. Right as he he's literally standing in the site as it's under construction, and he gets screwed out of the deal. Um, and then he has a heart attack. Um, it breaks your heart. Literally, it all literally, literally almost does. breaks his heart, yeah. and it breaks my heart as an audience member, because Elliot Gould, we love, we love Ruben. Everyone loves Ruben Tishkoff in this mm-hmm. trilogy. If you've made it to thirteen, if he's not one of your favorites in the crew, I'm sorry, I don't think you get these movies. You don't get the soul. <laughs> of it. But when he gets betrayed at the start here, he mentions that him and Willie Bank they go way back. Way back. They both, they both shook Sinatra's hand. Mm-hmm. And to me, as an audience member, I was born in the late 90s. I don't give a shit about Frank Sinatra at all. No one my age does. Part- uh, uh, bite uh, your tongue. Mm-hmm. Bite your tongue. No one my age does. Mm-hmm. Finishing my mm-hmm. thought gracefully. No bite one your my tongue, age sir. Does. But. You are with the wrong crowd for that energy. Even I understood that if you both shook Frank Sinatra's hand, you don't fuck that other guy over. Mm-hmm. That is a code. But this Willie Bank character, 
this Al Pacino hamming it up in the mid aughts performance. Serving. Just going off. <laughs> just having a ball, making a meal out of every single scene he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, he stabs him in the back. Could you... threw him off the roof, basically, but he doesn't. I Unless just stew with it. I need to say right. you you seem personally hurt by this. I this movie is all about one of your personal homies being deeply wronged, and then declaring open season on the person who fucked with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful. It's about being really good friends. <laughs> uh, it makes me smile. It's a fun. It's a really fun movie. So then. After seeing Ruben, Danny gathers up Ocean's 11, as many as they could. Not the women. They're because busy. They're busy. This isn't their fight, specifically. Sigh. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not their fight. Um, to basically ruin Bank and the casino, which has changed its name to The Bank. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I'm pissed. And there I'm are, gonna be pissed. There are two ways that you can get it, Bank. One, he loves winning the five diamond award, so they Which need is so bougie to stop him from winning the five diamond award. Every hotel this guy's ever opened has won the five diamond, and, and if this he... one doesn't, it's like the greatest embarrassment of all. Mm-hmm. Orbital mm-hmm. dunk by the Ocean's crew if they can serve this one up. And he always buys a necklace for his wife that matches. That has five garish, gigantic diamonds I on mean, it. So honestly, kind of love it. You're TBH. Keeping, keeping score at home, that's five, five diamonds. So that's 15,000 diamonds. <laughs> it's <laughs> really a lot of diamonds. <laughs> Wait, so I'm running my numbers again. It's... 25,000 diamonds. diamonds. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The second way is to rig the casino's machines uh, and the other gambling games to force a payout of more than $500 million, which would make Bank have to give up his controlling share of the hotel. Ruben can take it back. Bada bing, bada boom. They've broken the the bank. No, Dan, I hated every second of that. But, Dan, nobody breaks the bank. He pulled one over on our beloved Ruben Tishkoff, someone who understands the rules of Las Vegas. How are they going to beat someone who knows the rules and just refuses to play by them? How do you do that? Number one, revolution. Go to a Mexican dice factory. Okay, I'm listening, I'm excited, I love everything you're saying. It's too much already. Mm. So, one of their ways to rig craps is that they have special dice that they can control by clicking a button, which then go to whatever uh, numbers they want on them. But the only way they can do that is to go to the source where they are manufactured to get them put into the dice, because the dice are watched. They have to make it out of plot material. Yes, basically. Uh, so who do they send down there to make sure that everything is up to code and everything? <laughs> they send 
a ridiculously mustachioed Casey Affleck. It's distracting, <laughs> truly distracting. He takes off that uh, respirator mask. Very timely, I mm-hmm. thought. He takes off that respirator mask on the show floor, uh, on the uh, uh, floor in the factory, and he has that big ol' Zapata mustache. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And I... <laughs> I remember the first time I saw it, I remember just cracking up, just looking at him. He didn't even say anything yet. He speaks, I would say, basic, rudimentary, broken Spanish. He speaks like high school level four Spanish. Exactly. Some, yeah. Yeah, literally someone who took a class about Zapata in, in a Spanish-speaking class where they're like, oh, shit, I gotta mm-hmm. pay attention for notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So after he complains about the air conditioning not working, he slowly starts to stage a worker revolt at the plant where they make the dice. He um, just talks to them about the basics of, you know, the power of collaborative organizing and collective bargaining, which they have not seemingly had in this factory in some mm-hmm. time. And this is a recurring theme in the films of Steven Spurberberg. Steven <laughs> Speedman, Spider-Man. Yeah. Spurderberg. <laughs> um, so they, what they need to do, the the rest of the Oceans gang who are, are back in Las Vegas, um, is they need to be able to beat the Greco Player Tracker, which is a state-of-the-art artificial intelligence that ensures all winnings are legitimate by measuring players' biometric responses. Although the one time that we actually see it used, he just says... Pupils are dilated. Heart rate up. Yep, she won. Seems a little mumbo-jumbo to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm just a naturally nervous person, so I feel like my winnings could also be mistaken for my high levels of constant anxiety. That's like the cops pulling you over and being like, your hands are kind of shaky right now and your pupils are really dilated when I shine this flashlight right in your eyes. Mm -hmm. What's the story? And you're like, I'm nervous because you're a cop. (laughs) Please don't call my mom, even though I'm 25. This is a stressful situation. There's a lot of stuff going on. My body is going nuts. (laughs) My limbs are moving in different directions, and I cannot control them, officer. If this car was not in park, it would be flying down the road. (laughs) Uh, So they call up another member uh, that we introduced in Ocean's 12. Eddie Izzard, Roman Nagel, to figure out a way to defeat it. Wait, uh, Greco, Roman, whoa! He designed on. it. <laughs> um, he says the, it is undefeatable. The only way to do it is by either a giant magnetron or a natural disaster. That is an either or. So of course the gang decides to go for both. Got to cover all your bases. Better mm-hmm. safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bank is trying to get a new... Th- this is how they get the Magatron into it. Bank's getting a cell phone made out of gold. So they just oh, no, slip... Dan. Uh-oh, Dan. We lost to I Dan. Can, I can oh, still no. see you. Can you see me? I'm not editing this out of the recording if you disappear and I disappear. But Dan, I'm still I can here. See Daniel waving goodbye. God, it looks like Daniel. 
must be the clouds in my eyes. Don't sue me, Elton John. Oh, Riley, I thought you were frozen for a second. Dan, there no, you are. I'm sorry. I just zoned out. This blog I really like just put up a post. What if the Beatles never broke up in 1970? So I have to go download that. Keep talking. <laughs> oh, Dan's Dan left. Gone. Oh, there he is. Dan? Hi, Dan. I just need to tell I'm you. I'm so scared. I could see and hear you the whole time. Oh. I heard you singing Daniel. <laughs> You're welcome. That was for you. Oh. I uh, see what you were doing. You don't know that song? I wasn't really listening. I zoned out. I, That's I got okay. very distracted. Yeah. For, Go on. For reference, Sarah. my uh, I don't really relate to that song. I relate more to Danny's song by Kenny Loggins. Well, that one's not in the arsenal, Dan. Sorry. Well, you know what is in the arsenal? A gold cell phone. There we go. So Bank wants to buy a gold cell phone. Um <laughs> And they have the cell phone delivered with a Magnetron, which it shows up just looking like a regular old, you know, earthquake monitor. Um, and it is delivered by both of them, both together, and he leaves it in his office. Um, so to make sure that Bank goes to the server room, they get one of the giant drills that's used to bore the channel. Uh, yeah. To make an earthquake. We love the channel, don't we? <laughs> to make an earthquake right underneath the hotel on opening night, uh, which will give the distraction um, and get all the gamblers out of the casino. Mm-hmm. Um, first problem drill breaks. Uh oh. Oh no. Skettios. Um, <laughs> they are out of money, out of resources, and seemingly out of time when Linus. Who, My son taking a brief break from filming the Born Ultimatum comes <clears> up <throat> with a perfect idea. Contact Terry Benedict. Oh my god. Dan, it's time for me to drop in the note I took right as the movie was ending. Oh, here okay, we go. Are you ready. You're gonna love this. Andy. Garcia. This is underlined. Fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! <laughs> he's he's great in this movie. He is he's being a real ham. I love it. Mm-hmm. He also looks like a real ham, and I love it. <laughs> I'm. I'm only laughing because of the buildup that you had for that. Yeah, you I wrote the note while we were getting ready, and then I, thirty I, minutes later, this is the payoff. You were talking about something else. I didn't want to cut in and, and just be like, "God, Andy Garcia is so fat in this movie." I just wrote it down and I looked at it on the paper, and I was like, "That's great." Uh, he doesn't have a lazy eye in this one, though. Yeah, his whole body looks lazy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Lord. So, Danny, Danny goes to Andy Garcia to, to get him to purchase the second drill. Uh, Terry Benedict, he's got a grudge against him, though. Um, you know, because he's they're in the casino business together. One's got to beat the other, and Terry Benedict, nobody beats Terry Benedict. Um, 
So he offers Oceans the money only if they steal the currently the four diamond necklaces that Banks still has. Um, oh, are, so it's 20 diamonds. Currently, mm-hmm. the fifth would make it 25. My math was wrong the whole time. It's okay. My math and is always wrong. Nobody corrected me. And now I look like a fool in front of your listeners. Riley. God. I majored in what was functionally film. Anna studied mm-hmm. theater and Spanish. There wasn't mm-hmm. much math being done for us in no. the past seven years. Mm-hmm. I've never looked at math in my life. I use a calculator for everything. Calculator? Hardly know her. Hey, The last math class that Anna took, she sang the national anthem in front of it. Got extra credit, baby. And then dance class was told the same story about it. You you can't see this on the podcast, but ever since Riley said the calculator joke, he's been making finger guns and doing very quiet pew pew sounds. Oh my god. Bump bump that in audacity. Cut out all that other stuff I said. Bump that audio. Oh god. Drop in a couple uh, audio drops behind me. For for reference, I'm also not cutting out the part where I dropped because I it takes too much time, man. No. Oh my god, damn. All of our faults are revealed on this podcast. No. It's a very naturalistic oh, like film. Such a loser. Yeah, it, I mean, it takes something big for us to edit it <laughs> out. True. Am I right, Dan? It does. Let's see. I'm going to start saying words and we'll figure out which <laughs> no, one's the limit. No, not that big. Smaller, smaller than that. And a one. And two. <laughs> oh, God. So, um,. And we're back. Linus uh, gets disguised as the assistant uh, to a powerful man. The powerful man um, being the amazing Yen, disguised mm-hmm. as a, a big-time Chinese gambler. Um, mm-hmm. He's disguised as his assistant, and he's going to seduce Ellen Barkin. Um, he's Barks. got the worst nose prosthetic I've ever seen in my life, too. Uh, look, you say the nose doesn't work. I am of the belief that I think the nose really plays. <laughs> Couldn't be me. I think it works. Anna, I just need to, need to ask the question. Did you realize that's a direct quote from the movie? I'm leaving this podcast. Folks, we are three for three. I'm never coming back. Much like Daniel Ocean, I have pulled off perfect heists in all three of these podcasts. Listen, completely bombing references. Don't be mad. Being alienated. Being weird. Don't be mad, but while watching this movie and asking Gage a question about the plot, I did utter the words So, what is Frank Ocean doing now? So, that's where I'm at today. Wow. My bad, everyone. We'll let, we'll, we'll let that land for everyone to realize the magnitude a of your previous statement. So, also, um, Carl Reiner is, he's been posing as a reviewer for the board who gives the Five Diamond Award out. Instead of the actual reviewer, David Paymer, star of Quiz Show. Um, oh, God. God, what a great movie. Um, he 
keeps getting they the ocean's crew purposely make his stay horrible making him literally credited as the vup the very unimportant person (laughs) (laughs) that part kind of made me laugh they give him a skin disease oh no isn't that from the bed bugs it's that and it's also they put something in his food oh yeah you're right you're right they just gas, just send like fart gas into his rooms, just stinky mm-hmm. smells. My, my, one of my favorite things about this whole movie is that it is much less of a heist movie and very much a prank movie, which yeah. is so it's so fun. It's like I would what agree. if the oceans guys did jackass to the oceans <laughs> universe, and Al Pacino was the target, and everyone was just like, fuck it. It's the sure. third one. Sure. Say less. We're on it. <laughs> they're making a third one of those fucking pirate movies, and I, I heard they're making an Iron Man movie. Fuck it. <laughs> Let's do this. We're never going to run out of great, great ideas. <laughs> I, you really just, well, you really went into the, the psyche of a film exec in 2007 coming you know up with what? this movie. I, sometimes I drift back, and I, I in in my head, all I am doing is just screaming, trying to tell them, like, stop, no, turn back don't do this, don't do this. But it just comes out as like, you know what? Do this. We're going to do another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. No. But this time, <laughs> we're going to get it right. God. <laughs> Inside, just... No! God, no! <laughs> Shoot it! Help! Get me out! Cow a bummer. God. <laughs> Um, so, uh, now cutting back to the, the plant in Mexico, it is a full on worker revolt. They are protesting outside of the plant. They are chanting, um, some would say they've gone on strike. Oh my God. Scott Kahn has showed up down there to rein him in and he has gotten thrown into everything. He throws a Molotov cocktail. Yes, I was going to say, is this the part with the Molotov cocktail? He has has probably my favorite line in this movie and possibly the trilogy where it's just, I think it's either uh, Brad or George on the phone and he's just like on the phone with him. He says, how's it going down there? And Scott Kahn is screaming into the phone that Casey Affleck's holding while Scott Kahn is lighting a Molotov cocktail and he just goes, we just need to break management. They can't keep treating us like this. <laughs> and then he throws it out of frame. And they're like, we gotta go. And they just like charge the gate. That is, and to have that in a blockbuster in 2007, to have that in a movie on this scale, with, with like stars like that, that is Soderbergh. Mm-hmm. That is his beautiful little weirdo touch that he puts in his movies. And I love him. I love him, and I love the movies he makes. <laughs> Though you do, you forget, but all these actors, they're union, man. You'd hope they, they fight for union causes. They're all SAG. Mm-hmm. Well, the SAG elections are coming up, and as a, a non-union member who knows very little about how the union works, I'd like to fully endorse the candidate Matthew Modine for the president of SAG-AFTRA. I think he is really going to change the way that they do things, and he's going to fight for uh, uh, streaming rights for for re- uh, what is that residuals mm-hmm. for people when things go on streaming because they get screwed, and and he's going to 
uh, protect old people in the union as well. And old people are great. No. R.I.P. Ed I'd, I'd just like to say it's pronounced SAG Awards. SAG Guild. Screen Actors Guild. Guild. SAG AFTRA. SAG. SAG AFTRA. Thank you. Um, I would like to endorse Matthew Modine for the SEGA Dreamcast. <laughs> will, if Matthew Modine becomes SAG president, will he go back in time and be good in The Dark Knight Rises? Or is that <gasps> just too far Dan, gone? Dan, I'm going to call a timeout on this conversation <laughs> and Shook give it. it away. Because Can I won't I get that heated in public <laughs> i haven't seen the dark knight rises since i saw oh. it in the theater but i remember matthew modine being pretty good in it because he's always at least pretty good in movies sometimes he's you should excellent. uh you should go watch it and then listen to our dark knight rises episode Just i saying. was thinking about rewatching the whole trilogy so maybe there i'll do go. that as there a little go. Uh, go listen to him cherry on the milkshake which is ironic because mm-hmm. i fucking hate cherries and milkshakes me too three for Ugh, three aren't they the worst uh, that shit out of my milkshake so management does get broken because all they're fighting for is fifty six thousand dollars <laughs> that's if so 350 a week additional uh so uh they just write him a check and then management gets broken um so the dice get made. And then, Score one for the boys back home. Uh, and then it is opening night, and the plan seems to have gone awry because an FBI agent has shown up. Another FBI agent yes. showing up in this film. Series. Oh, no. Hmm. Well, they're not going to pull the same gag twice. That so would be, mysterious. That would be absurd. And they, uh, they arrest... Livingston, who has been rigging the machines, because they're like, this guy's been rigging the machines. We're on the lookout for his compatriots. He's the biggest threat. You got to take him out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Danny Ocean, he knows that Al Pacino, he's got the uh, illegal FBI records of all of them. So they oh, need to really? break in and change their, and Photoshop themselves in real time uh, <laughs> to... Uh, Ensure their safety. You know safety. how files work. Yeah. And yeah. you know how files worked in 2007. They really need to hack the mainframe and mm-hmm. debug the JSON. But you don't. What you don't seem to understand, and I, I've seen this movie a couple of times. It, you know, I pick up a few things. <laughs> is that it's a Unix system, mm-hmm. and they know this. They know how that works. That's a Jurassic Park reference. <laughs> It's a Unix system. I got that one. You're killing me. I'm man. not good at these references, and Jurassic Park is one of my favorite movies, <laughs> so that should tell you how bad I am at just picking up on quotes that are, Dan, like, obscure. Dan, you're killing me. <laughs> Sorry. I could do, like, obscure Back to the Future. I could do obscure yes. SpongeBob references till no, I back die. Back to the Future, I can, I can do that all day. There you go. Try um, that on me. We'll see how that goes. Well, you know who else? No promises. You know who else can do something all day? Who? Don Cheadle doing his Rick James impression. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I'm not going to lie. I liked this scene. I thought it was really funny. Yeah. How could you not? Don Cheadle, he, he is the distraction against Bank, and his whole thing is that he basically he is playing a combination of Rick James and Evil Knievel. Um, 
just trying to distract Al Pacino so he doesn't see the computer screen getting changed behind him and everybody's faces being photoshopped. Um, hey, Anna, quick question. Hey, Dan, quick question. What were the four words that... Uh, is It wasn't Rick James. It was... Um, I said it right the first time. James Brown. That James Brown said on stage before he said one, two, three, four. Am I supposed to know this? Come on. I know. Isn't he the get on up guy? Pay me my money. Oh, Pay yeah. Pay me my money. Uh, Dan, you know I'm bad at this kind of stuff. You guys are putting me on the spot. The get on up guy. Isn't that what his biopic is called? Yes. James Brown. He, See, the, I know. He's the guy who sang that nine minute song in Rocky Four. All those. I'm sorry. Songs. I'm sorry. There are certain things I know a lot about. This isn't it. I'm not stupid. I'm just a little dumb. I am re- I am retreating into my brain zone. Welcome back to Breaking <laughs> Riley. Love it. Ah, James Brown. So, I, my, nobody in my family, no offense, was a huge James Brown fan. I just don't know a ton about him. Sorry, everyone. Born in Augusta, Georgia. James Brown. <laughs> so, <laughs> Don Cheadle distracts him long enough. Everything goes fine. Um... Linus, in his plan, he is trying to distract Ellen Barkin, uh, and he does so because she's in love with him. Oh, that's oh, Ellen God. Barkin. That's who it was. Yeah. Or I guess more in <laughs> lust with him. She wants this to scene bone that also nose. also had me dying. Is... No, not the nose. Yes, she's the nose. So... Oh, it was the nose. The nose played. It, it, it worked. Listen, as someone Good. who knows the powers of a big nose... That ain't it. In that scene, that ain't it. Look, look, you've never met Lenny Pepperidge, which is one of the best names in this whole <laughs> it franchise. It is a good name. Got great. It's not my favorite. We'll, we'll get to my favorite name in the whole franchise in a minute. But, God, he, she is so freaking horny in this scene. It's so funny. <laughs> they don't, like, they, you, you don't get scenes like this in movies anymore. I mean, I just don't get it. It's been 14 years or something. How are we still not doing these kinds of hysterical bits? Instead, it's just like snappy, quippy dialogue between The Rock and Emily Blunt. And everybody going, ooh, that happened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Dion. Yeah, sure, she's a hot girl. Sure, whatever, but she's real talkative. I'm an Avenger, blah, blah, blah. Shit's stupid. Give me Stop. more Len Pepperidge. I'm a hot girl who's talkative. Don't come for me. Give me more Len Pepperidge and horny Ellen Parkin <laughs> in my movies or I will scream. <laughs> yeah, where's the, the Disney Plus show for Lenny Pepperidge? The, the Len Pepperidge Chronicles. I'd be there day one. Uh, so everything seems to be going to plan. Uh, his part of the plan is he's going to switch out the diamonds the fake ones and the real ones, but he gets busted by the FBI agent. Gasp. Breaks in. (gasps) Says this man is a confidence man. He's been scheming you this whole time. Rips off Lenny Lenny Pepperidge's nose. Gasp. Everything. Uh, If he had spirit gum on that and he's just ripping that off, that would hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. Just saying. I think I'm too sweaty for spirit gum. Nothing ever stayed on well enough. Really? Yeah. Maybe you just weren't letting it sit long enough, like cooking, you know? 
What are you attaching? Like facial hair or like a wig or something. I've never done. I see. Whenever I performed, uh, it was all method. Whatever (laughs) facial hair I had at the time in that moment, that was the character. That's who they were. It sometimes that would change in shots of shot, but that's it's just performance Mm -hmm. in a weird kind of way. I didn't have any issues with with facial hair sticking. I I don't know. That's all there is to that. Well, it stuck pretty good. Not yet. (laughs) So uh, Linus and the FBI agent go to the roof where the FBI agent is revealed to be his father. (gasps) Wait a minute. Who did they cast to play his father, Dan? Well, let me tell you. The actor playing Robert Bobby Caldwell is Bob Einstein. Uh Uh-huh. Marty Funkhauser from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Funkhauser! Little Orphan Funkhauser! (laughs) I got so excited when they cut to him and... It's like, all right, we're going to Langley or wherever the FBI is located, those weirdos. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Funkhauser at a desk. Hello. <laughs> I cracked up. I was immediately it's like, yes, they did it. And I had no idea who he was playing mm-hmm. until it all came together right at the end. The perfect cover. Uh, so on the roof, they are caught. What? By the Night Fox returning from the previous film. Who is there once again to steal the diamonds from them? He'd been hired by Terry Benedict because Terry Benedict doesn't trust Danny. Once again, I still, you know, I get it. Why would he? There's, he still doesn't have a reason to trust Danny, but. Um, so the Night Fox, he, he takes the diamonds from Linus, then he just parachutes off the building. Um, Predicting hangover. Hangover 3, I was just thinking that. And Ken Jong flying over Las Vegas. God. Um, It's like poetry, it rhymes. um, Danny knew that Tallulah was watching them the whole time, the Night Fox. um, So they gave him fake diamonds. Nine steps ahead. Twist. What a twist. What a twist on top of a twist. Yeah. This is a curly fry. Because it's just one continuous twist. Mm-hmm. And don't we love curly fries, folks? Don't we love it? <laughs> Lord. Um, so then to Lord, seeing that they're fake diamonds, he throws them out. He's angry, and he's been had a second time. And then Linus and his dad, you know how they get the diamonds? With a helicopter, that they just rip them. Absolutely tear them from the building. Yep. Got them. Al Pacino's ass. <laughs> Yo. But they're not done yet. No, they're not. That's not only even close. one part of it. What do they have to do next? Oh, what? They have to disrupt the Greco, which they do. And then they have to win all the money with all their rigged games, which they do. A woman breaks the bank. I felt so good for her, honestly. Right? I'm, I mean, like, I know it's part of the heist is that they didn't want it to be, like, directed back to them by winning themselves. But, you know, she was probably so stoked, like, obviously. And it just made me feel so good and warm to see a person that wasn't them winning. I don't know. It just made <laughs> it, me happy. 
that was it. It's not about them getting a big score. It was just about the bank. It's just about bank losing money. Mm -hmm. House exactly. has to lose, and they have that. That's why they have that little cute scene where Danny was watching Oprah with a bottle of wine. Oh, I love that scene. And then he's like, you know, he just really likes like, oh, they're oh, they're gonna build, they're gonna build her a whole house. Like that's that kind of same spirit and same energy and feeling you get and then they do it again a third time in the movie you get that nice little payoff mm -hmm. um just great so they uh all their rigged games they come to fruition um and then they set off the earthquake underneath the building uh which leaves everybody rushing out of the hotel um and the, the perfect cover perfect cover and then the we see al pacino and he is lost basically he is lost outside of the building everybody has run out all the money has been taken from him um the reviewer from the royal review board the very unimportant person tells him that he will not be winning the five diamond award Affleck uh, and Khan. As like the like the bellboys, like telling that guy like, all right, sir, you've gone smell blind. You need to pack your things. You have fifteen, 15 minutes. minutes. Fifteen minutes, sir. Pack your things. <laughs> pack your things. <laughs> and then the second the guy is like, all right, and he closes the door. Like it closes, and then they just they just sprint start, away. <laughs> they just sprint down the hallway like twelve year olds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that. It, then the consistency of every performance in the whole crew mm -hmm. through the trilogy is a testament to the fucking incredible casting. No one else could make those parts sing and work as beautifully as these guys do. Mm -hmm. um, so then Danny sees Bank after he, after he realizes his defeat and he lets him know that, you know, they did, he and his gang, they did the whole thing. They did it for Ruben because, you know, they shook hands with Sinatra. And you never cross someone who shook hands with Sinatra. These grudges, they're awful. <laughs> Nobody wins. Um, and then Banky tries to threaten uh, Danny, but Danny's like, I already know all the people you're going to threaten me with. They like me a whole lot more than they like you. Uh, and then they he smolders off. Kills it. Just crushes it. And then... The, the group used the money that they made to buy a property north of the Vegas Strip for Ruben to build his own casino as a final thank you to him. Um, and then because Terry double-crossed him, Danny donates all of his money to a children's camp uh, for orphans. And then Terry has to go on Oprah and explain why he donated all the money. So good. Um also in their conversation, uh, Danny, when Terry's like, I want that money, Danny's like, okay, I can take it back. I'll call the orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did skate past the moment where I, I forgot my favorite name, but when uh, Linus's father is apprehending him and blowing his cover mm -hmm. as Len Pepperidge, he rattles off his aliases. Including Sheldon Wells, and my favorite one, and my favorite like alias or like code name in this whole movie series, 
<laughs> Little Timmy Hartwell. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it down as the movie was ending because I saw it in the closed captions. <laughs> Seeing it written out is really, really fun. You just have to... What would that alias be used for? As... Little, uh, Matt Damon is hi, I'm Little Timmy Hartwell. And then having Funkhauser say that name. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a break. Um... I fell down a well. Um, <laughs> so then at the airport, uh, Danny, Brad Pitt, Rusty, and um, Linus, they're sitting there. Linus <laughs> gets up and he's like, you know where to call me, and leaves. And both uh, Danny and Rusty are like, well then, look at, look at big boy over there. Look at Mr. Jason Bourne. Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. There is a scene where um, they're talking about like all the uh, like avenues they had, all of the like options they were going through, and he was like screwed. He was at the end of his rope, and he's like walking and talking, all pissed off on his phone in a shot, and mm-hmm. it looks like something straight out of the Bourne movie that was filmed and in I London have... I... during oh, the filming total... of the Bourne Ultimatum. <laughs> That makes total sense. They probably just like, hey, Steven, like he's on set right now, and if you got to do pickups, like you've got him for forty-five minutes, you can use some of our crew. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll roll. It's. I have not seen any of the Bourne movies, and I could still look at that and be like, oh, that's the them. That's that look. That's yeah. how they look. <laughs> just imagine uh, the camera shaking ninety. You're so shaky. Inches. So shaky. Yeah. Um, and then, so, Danny and, and Rusty, they say their goodbyes, they go to leave, Rusty sets up a slot machine, uh, oh, I love this part for too. David Pamer, David Pamer oh wins the big, 11 million dollars, and then he we roll credits, it. he does deserve it, and that's Ocean's 13! We did it! We made it, and it was a quick run, Riley! <laughs> Riley can go out with his friends. All right. Give me a break. Give me a break. Pour one out for me. Um, Why would I pour one out? That's a waste of a drink. Because it's for me because I can't go out ever again. I'll just drink it. Okay, drink <laughs> yeah. one for me. All right. A G&T, preferably a G&T. Um, Riley, as, as the guest, you go first with your thoughts. You know, I just... This, I, it's, this is the one that I end up re-watching the least because I think 12 has like the most beautiful cinematography of the series and I think 1 is just so tight and it's really quotable and fun and this one I feel like just gets a bad rap for being the last one of a great trilogy and everyone's always eager to shit on the third in a trilogy like Jedi, weirdly not Indiana Jones uh, but like uh, the X-Men movies Dark Knight rightfully Rises. so and Dark Knight Rises, uh, which, you know, may or may not be justified. Spider-Man, probably Spider-Man again. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, this one, when I rewatch it, it's just so fun. It has a lot of, like, the best, like, character bits, because it does feel like a rehash of Ocean's Eleven. It does kind of, because you're back in Vegas, you got the boys kind of splintered off again doing their own bits, probably because of shooting schedules, but 
it's it's just so fun. It's just so fun for them to do that. And I feel like people who are all annoyed and pissy about like, oh, Ocean's 12 was too much of a diversion. It was too different. Last Jedi wasn't what I wanted it to be. <laughs> that kind of person. Guess what? 13 is basically 11 again, but a little different enough to not notice. And it's fucking fun. It's another five stars for me. It just gets me going. I love it. Anna, it's what about all you? About, it's all about saving Elliot Gould <laughs> and defending his honor, which I think we should do every day as Americans because his performances in these movies is the only good thing we've ever done culturally as a, as a country. All <laughs> a couple hundred years, that's the one time we were like, all right, we cracked it on this one. I'm giving it a three, which is the highest rating because I actually enjoyed this one. Thank you. Interesting. I had fun this time. I know. Let's all just be shocked. I had fun fun for once in my life. (laughs) I think it also helps that I was just in a good mood while I was watching it to start. Like, I didn't have any chores to do or anything. So I just, you know, I was just in a a good place for movie watching. Mm -hmm. No, I had fun. I enjoyed it. I did. But it's still not my favorite style of movie. So that's why it's still kind of a low rating. But like I said, there are lots of things that made me laugh in this one. And that's why I liked it. And I love Al Pacino. Not to be a basic, but I love Al Pacino. As you should. Is What's not to love about him? Is that something a basic would say? Uh, I think everybody loves Al Pacino. Yeah. He's just a good egg, you know? He's a charmer. I'm also... Um, he was very handsome when he was young. Anyway. He's very handsome now. Bite your tongue. Um, he's, That's right. He's let me tell you. So handsome. Let me tell you, Anna. <laughs> he's got a great ass. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, I was biting my tongue. I didn't mention the, uh, heat once this whole podcast, despite Al Pacino being here. I'm very impressed. Listen, I hated my nose when I was younger, but when I realized that he had the same nose as me, mm-hmm. it made me feel a little bit better because, oh. yeah. Uh, well, that's nice. That was a long time ago when I realized that. I think, yeah, but it gave me better confidence. So thanks, Al. <laughs> Uh, so some trivia about the film. Um, this is the only of the Oceans trilogy where Topher Grace does not appear. Yeah, what the heck? He, Where's my boy Toph? He, I, I might have said this before, but he was supposed to appear in a cameo, but it was it stopped due to filming uh, Spider-Man 3. There were conflicts yep. in timing. Oh, uh, of and course. He was Nothing but respect to, for my Venom. He was supposed to appear having a conversation with Rusty while holding an Asian baby and never explaining whose baby it is. Oh. And that was going to be the whole cameo. That's such a good scene. That's such a perfect moment for these movie. I'm going to imagine that in my head every time I watch this, and it's going to be better than anything that they could have filmed. Um, God, that's so so funny. Peter Fonda filmed a scene as Linus' dad in Ocean's 12, that got cut. He was supposed to be in Ocean's 13 as his dad, but he was working on Ghost Rider, so he wasn't able to. Oh, no. <laughs> that sucks. 
That's such a bummer. I never knew that's why. Oh, no, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm frowning. <laughs> yeah, so... Why do you have a, a water bottle lid stuck to your head, Riley? Why did you I'm have bored. two slightly earlier? I did. One fell off. <laughs> I wanted to see how long they would stick for. Okay. I mean, no judgment. I just, you know, just curious. Oh, JW, JW. Um, what? The at the end of the movie when Rusty and Danny are saying goodbye, Rusty tells Danny to try and keep the weight off, which is a reference to George Clooney who put on extra weight for his role in Syriana. Um, and then hmm. George Clooney says to Rusty, "Settle down and have a couple of kids," which is a reference oh. to Brangelina and their children. Is it all of Brad Pitt's million children? Yeah, he's a star. Um. When Danny and Rusty are reminiscing about uh, when they first met Ruben in front of the Bellagio in the Bellagio pool, um, mm-hmm. the song that plays is Claire de Lune, which is the same yes. song that was playing when they were watching the fountains at the end of the first movie. Yeah. They built casinos smaller back then. Mm-hmm. Town seemed bigger back then. <sighs> Try not to cry. Try not to be a puddle <laughs> of tears at that scene. I dare you. This is Steven Soderbergh's last movie shot on film. All of his other oh, so films have is... been digital. Oh. Yeah, this is his movie. last movie. This was like, no, Magic Mike came out afterwards. <laughs> uh, Matt Damon's last line is, I'll see you when I see you, which was also his last line in Rounders, which was yeah. also written by Brian Koppelman. God, Rounders kicks ass. Um, if you want to see a great John Malkovich performance, Rounders. And this is, I'm trying to find another interesting piece of trivia here, but they're all pretty plain. Um, this was the last movie that Joel Siegel reviewed for Good Morning America. Oh, <laughs> You know, I'm sure that is a that seems like a, a a fact that would be interesting to me and me alone, and I don't even find that interesting. <laughs> uh, but anyway, That's good. Extra questions that we have to throw in because this is the end of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was your favorite scene of the whole trilogy? Oh. Uh, Riley? Do you get, uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah you you're the best. Okay. Hmm. I want to say... I could probably give you the my favorite of each movie. Okay. Eleven is the, is the meeting with Ruben, the very start, because that was the moment I realized, I'm like, I'm in. I'm totally in. I get this. Mm-hmm. I get it's for me. Um... My favorite moment in 12 is definitely Brad Pitt jumping out of the window at the very start and it freeze-framing on him popping out into the rain. I think that's just a great moment. And this one... I want to say either the moment where Matt Damon starts reading uh, Basher's letter to um, Ruben, Mm -hmm. who is kind of like comatose, and then he gets like 
two or three sentences in, and he's just like, you know what, Ruben, I'm just going to leave this letter here <laughs> on the table. It's like that or or the scene where everyone's winning in the casino, Ruben's like just cleaning up, and he's all smiling and healthy again. The boys are just completely decimating Bank, completely breaking the casino. The house is losing for the first time you've ever seen, and it's just, I think that's a really fun cathartic movie making scene that I think might be like the whole crux pinnacle of, of the series. Yeah. It's all about the little guy knocking over the big house. Mm-hmm. Anna, what about you? Am I to give one from each movie as well? You or can, no? or you can just pick one overall. Well, you know, I really like the the um, poker scene with all the celebrities at the beginning. It just warms my heart mm-hmm. in the first one. But I also really like the scene with um, Julia Roberts pretending to be herself in the second one. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, I like when Matt Damon is trying to be seductive and then the, um, his dad comes and, you know, breaks it up. Yeah. I, I just think those are my three favorites. Um. I I don't I hadn't thought about three favorites. I only had my one and it's the when the group is all together in the first one and they're planning the heist uh itself. <laughs> um I just like the all the like Classic. incidental dialogue that happens throughout all that scene. So good. Um I guess in Creepy 12 Dickinson. Yeah, in 12 it would also be that scene where they plan it again. <laughs> oh um, my god. And then in this one, uh, it's probably the end where everything is coming together really well. Um, And then my additional favorite scene is when they watch The Fountain and Claire de Lune plays and they all walk away one by one. I just think it's very beautiful filmmaking. If they they only did the one movie, that would be such a beautiful ending. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they just have it as like, that is, it's almost like the end of like the uh, Fellowship of the Ring. Like you're, yeah. They oh, do. They, they send break. him off down the river. Don't they break up at the end of Fellowship of the Ring? Shit, I don't remember. I Those don't movies are too long. Only like, I only yeah. like the happy I parts disagree. with the hobbits. Yeah. Disagree. But <laughs> it's like that moment where like they're all they shit. They're tied together. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not just accomplices. They're Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Although oh they agreed to call it the Benedict <laughs> job. Um. And then, what is your favorite of the three? This answer changes. Uh, It's like (laughs) how I give a different answer to like, oh, what's your favorite movie? I just say a different movie every time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like, who's going to fact check that? Also, it's more fun that way. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think 12 is the best. Sometimes I think it's too shaggy. Something... I want to say maybe 11. I think the first one, just because it's just like, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. The other two are also like five baggers, perfect, five star, <laughs> excellent, million bags of popcorn, excellent movies. Mm-hmm. But I think the first one might just be the most fresh and the most fun because it's they're young and spry and <laughs> it's new and exciting. Uh, Anna, what about you? I like the third one. I just thought it had the most funny parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. 
No, I mean, I kind of said that before. Like that was my favorite one. I just I enjoyed it the most. I it had more actors that I like, and I just enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Eleven the best. I, I think it's the tightest of the three. It's um, and it's the most I don't know fifties sixties feeling of the three. Um, and I love the the fake 50s nostalgia stuff that we have now not the actual 50s but the stuff that has last and everybody's looking at with rose-colored glasses that's fun but also you pleasantville, know pleasantville basically ple- yeah pleasantville um although i did I, <laughs> I do have a book in the other room uh about julius and ethel rosenberg who were spies that were put to death in 1951 by the u.s government oh. Oh, don't I know it? Uh huh. Oh, you, yes, you do. New Jersey's finest. Uh, That's right. Also, a fun connection: the Rosenbergs come up in another Pacino production from the uh, aughts, Angels in America on HBO. <gasps> oh. He fucking crushes it, and he talks about the Rosenbergs. Um, but I have that book for, and it's from 1954. I got it from the library, and I'm like, ooh, yeah. Contemporary reports, baby. That I bet it was pretty heated. Yes, it was. The big the big debate was on whether Ethel was actually a spy or not. Um, which, what? to spoil an I actual don't. historical event, um, as further details have been revealed, it's pretty clear that she was involved in the spying. Uh, I think uh, I think they shouldn't. I don't think they should have killed those people. Frankly. I don't either, but I also don't think that the government should kill anyone. That's that's my hot take. Yeah. That's my hot take. I don't think that should have happened 50, 60 years ago. But what should happen is uh, Ocean's 14. <laughs> I, think they, I think they should go all the way up to Ocean's 17, because I think those guys are still down to make those pictures. Um, last piece of trivia... George Clooney has shot down any question about that after Bernie Mac's death. Because he says it's not I mean, an Ocean's movie without Bernie Mac. That's fair, and that makes sense to me. I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Not without Carl. Can't do it. it just, just You can't do it. Too big of a hole to fill. I'd certainly like to see all of the crew uh, in these films continue to work with Steven Soderbergh now that he's retired and still making films. <laughs> we saw what happened with Don Cheadle and No Sudden Move. Mm-hmm. Incredible. You could throw a lot of the Ocean's cast into roles in No Sudden Move. Uh, there's a surprise one I'm not going to ruin, but he's incredible in it. He is. Absolutely. It's a great movie. Uh, Soderbergh's never lost his fastball. People say, oh, the, he had a slump. He had like one movie that wasn't a big hit. Everything he's been doing has been goddamn interesting solaris incredible <laughs> to to get back on the track so we can wrap this up we have two more questions and then we can say mm-hmm. a, a fond farewell um will this movie be better worse or the same with riley insert actor here um let's mix it up instead of uh al pacino being played by or uh, willie Banks being played by al pacino how about de niro instead mm. and uh if i think about that for more than five seconds i don't think it would be very It'd good be really bad he think... can't do comedy i i think he can do comedy but i just don't think he particularly likes to try in comedy 
the only I, he only works in comedies when he is the source of the comedy due to his seriousness, like in Meet he's the so, Parents. So fucking funny in Goodfellas and King of Comedy. In Goodfellas, just like that scene, where he's like, "Yeah, she's going around. She's going. I can't have it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it." And he does like that little shrug thing. He's like, "Can't have it." It's one of the funniest things you'll ever see in a movie. Um, Anna, better or worse are the same. Jonathan Taylor Thomas as Linus. No, it's got to be Matt for me. I'm sorry. Is Full there, stop. Is there any place for JTT in any of these movies? No, I don't think so. I really don't. Topher Grace. Oh, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it's Topher Grace. Yep. That's smart. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's the he, only place. Though, he's still honestly. he's still called Topher. Yeah, he's he playing Topher. real life actor. Oh God, Topher he's playing Topher Grace. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very fun. Um, and then, better or worse, are the same with Jimmy Stewart as Carl Reiner's role. No, it'd be worse. Although Jimmy Stewart doing a British accent, kind of want to see it. Uh, he's had to have at one point or another. Um, and then last question. Scale of one to five diamonds. What do oh, you give this? I'm giving it three and a half to start off. Riley, what about you? Five diamonds. <laughs> three Perfect. diamonds from Anna. Bada bing, bada boom. Mm-hmm. That is we it. Broken the bank. <laughs> that is it for the Oceans trilogy. Uh, thank you, Riley, for joining us. For these last three episodes, it's been a pleasure to have you. The Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. Are those your favorite <laughs> hotels in Las Vegas? That's a quote! Those are the three oh. hotels they hit in the first movie. My favorite hotel is Mandalay Bay, because that's the only one I've ever stayed at. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um... Hopefully we will have you on again in the future to talk about. Yes. Uh, Thank you for L- hanging Lucky. out with us. This was a delight. I had so much fun on these episodes. I really did. This was a really fun time. Oh, good. Awesome. Um, if you would like to support In Conclusion, you can do so on social media at Facebook and Twitter at and In Conclusion on Instagram at In Conclusion Podcast. Financially, patreon.com slash In Conclusion. Best way to help us is by spreading the word, telling your friends, getting them to listen to the podcast so they can finally understand the true genius that is Elliot Gould. If you would mm-hmm. like to find me online, I am on Twitter at Dan O'Keefe 86 and on TikTok at not Dan O'Keefe or at Fast Facts Live. Why not plug both? Riley, where could they find you? Hi, I am at Good Post, R-E-I-L-L-Y on Twitter. I am your own personal Riley. Reach out and read posts. Anna, where can they find you? Hello. You can find me on Instagram at AdamusPrime818, or you can find me on Twitter at Autobots Roll Out, capital O for Auto, capital B for Bots, capital R for Roll, and the O in Roll, and the O in Out are zeros. I realize I didn't announce this, but next week we are starting the Austin Powers trilogy. So (laughs) I've never seen Austin Powers before. I'm really excited. I've been wanting to watch these for like a really, really long time, and I kept saying to Gage, 
I should suggest Austin Powers, and then I kept forgetting. So I'm glad we made it. I'm glad we made it here, Dan. I think we got Riley's Riley freaking out. Freaked out. Riley, can't wait to have you tune in. <laughs> ah! I'm very excited. I love the Austin Powers trilogy. They're perfect movies. Wonderful. You can watch all of them in like six hours. Just love straight that. through. With breaks, to too, because they're like 90 minutes each. Exactly. Love they're that energy like from Mike Myers. 90 okay. Or 98. They, it's not that beefy of a joke. It's pretty thin. Yeah. But it's so fucking funny. I love stupid comedy. I love like, stupid comedy. It's like Austin Powers and Jackass somehow have aged the best so well. of any comedy from that time period. Dan, you should just be happy that I suggested Austin Powers and I didn't force you to watch Wayne's World with me. I like Wayne's, Wayne's World. Wayne's World's awesome! Yeah, I, I love Wayne's World. Don't get me wrong. Like, I right. love it. I thought you didn't like it for some reason, Dan. No, I, I think it. I told you this, but I on my Tinder back in the day, I had a picture of Jordan and I when we went as Wayne and Garth. Mm-hmm. On a gentleman's pickup line was, I'm from Aurora, <laughs> Illinois. And I said, okay. <laughs> uh, well, we should wrap this up before we do eight minutes on Wayne's World. Everybody, come back next week for Austin Powers. And in the meantime, stay safe, have fun, and get vaccinated. Bye-bye. Bye. Macaroni in a pot, that's a cheap-ass breakfast.